Welcome to GovCast. I am your host, Managing Editor Amy Kluber. Big data. You hear the phrase everywhere. You hear about the challenges of managing and analyzing data in government agencies today. And then the tools implemented to help with that, like robotic process automation or AI, etc. Oftentimes in government, there is so much data, many don't even know what to do with it. For agencies like the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, big data is quite literally big. Think about it. You have the categorization of hurricanes, weather predictions, the management of fisheries, and all the conservation efforts that come with that and more. The science agency has many missions, and with all this comes a ton of valuable data. For CIO Zachary Goldstein, acquiring and implementing the tools necessary for all this work is, of course, his priority in various efforts through the agency, including its N-Wave program, which gives researchers across the U.S. access to know its climate and weather data, and its big data project, which explores benefits of storing mass amounts of data from NOAA satellites, radars, etc., in its cloud. All this and more has greater implications for the public good. Zach, thank you for joining us on GovCast. I'm looking forward to picking your brains a little bit on your role at NOAA. You received your BA and MBA from University of Rochester. How did you go from a business background into the IT field right now? Right. Well, it was circuitous route. So, as you mentioned, the, uh, the BA was in economics. The MBA was a business degree. After I got out of graduate school, I began my career as a management auditor with GAO, which at the time was the General Accounting Office. That's how far back this goes. Back in the 80s, the GAO was establishing a new division called the Information Management and Technology Division. It was focused on how well does the government manage information technology and acquire IT. And so one day, one of the senior auditors that I uh, was working with, actually I knew him because he was a friend of my boss's and they needed a fifth for the carpool, a fourth for the carpool. That's how these things work. <laughs> anyway, he was putting together this new division. And in the carpool, on the last leg of this trip, he started asking me questions about whether when I was a management auditor, in my experience, did I ever have findings where the root cause was something about IT? Either it was acquired wrong, it was managed wrong. Was there money wasted as a consequence? Was a program objective being frustrated because of how the IT was managed? And it turned out I had a few pretty good examples. And then he asked me if I would like to work in that new division at a higher grade. And I applied and uh, got in and went back to college, uh, took some coursework in IT. And then I became an IT auditor. And so after 10 years at GAO, I left GAO to become a systems integrator in the private sector. That was the transition. IT is the cause of operational problems. You'd learn a lot about IT and then ended up in the IT field. Going from the public, private, and the back and forth, what drew you to the public sector? Right. I've been in, in and out a few times, as, as you alluded. The first time I left the public sector was coincidental with having just saved the taxpayers a whole bunch of money. This is why I was at GAO. And I had a strong feeling that I wanted to manage IT as opposed to just evaluating it. After a while, sometimes they call it the uh, seven-year itch, the 10-year itch for auditors. Either go up and become a partner or whatever, or you say, you know, enough of this. I want to show somebody I can do it as opposed to just evaluating it, which is extremely important. 
I would never denigrate that. In fact, I, you know, I, I laud people who go back and forth. But I had that itch. So the plan was to, to leave auditing. At the same time, the private sector had some opportunities, and, and I took it. So I did that for a while, a while, 10 years. And what brought me back to government, so for my second government job, was when I took a non-permanent position with the Department of Defense. I had been supporting defense logistics information systems in the private sector for a long time. And I was a contractor. And even though I was a vice president in the firm where I worked, I didn't have a lot of influence over the architectural issues that were preventing the ultimate success of a lot of the things I was working on. So this opportunity for this temporary job came up. And in effect, I became the chief information officer for the function of logistics across the Department of Defense, working directly for the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Logistics. As an aside, for anybody who's listening to this, I was not the DLACIO. That was another executive who I was worked very closely with. When the DOD job ended, I returned to the private sector as an IT consultant while I looked for another federal executive IT position because I really enjoy having the ability to translate mission needs into technical solutions. And I also like using technology to advance the mission in ways that oftentimes the mission owners themselves can't think of because I, I think that's what this is about. So I kept looking and eventually, I, I guess it took about four years, I had a fine time doing consulting, but it's not the same. It's advising people on how to put together technical solutions is never the same as being the person who's got to make the tough calls. And eventually I was able to find my way back into NOAA as CIO of the satellite service and deputy CIO and now I'm the CIO of NOAA. Thinking back maybe before your academic studies, did you always want to work in government? In a way. I considered working for the government even when I was a college freshman. I believe in public service. And I believe that it's a laudable objective to try to make government better. While I was an undergraduate and graduate student, I was a professional radio broadcaster. I'd done some broadcast journalism and considered that career path as well. But what pulled me into the government was, frankly, GAO. I've read about some of the amazing things that they did in the 1970s, and I thought, wow, you can save the government money, you can prevent programs from going off the rails. And when that opportunity presented itself among a bunch of other opportunities, I said, that, that's for me. And that's how I joined the government. It was the pull of that agency. Wow. So background in broadcast journalism. I'm actually in a journalism major, so. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I did not get pulled into NOAA, though. So. <laughs> it can happen. Yeah. And apparently you have background in radio, too, a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, that was the job I had when I was in college. I worked at a college radio station, a commercial radio station, and a public radio station. Great. What has changed in the NOAA IT landscape since you became CIO in January 2015? Well, a lot has changed. And some of it, in fact, the thing that I was thinking about just before we started this interview, has been so slow, I almost forgot to think about it. But our move to the cloud, for example, has changed quite a bit. Since I became CIO, for sure. But when I, I think it was like two weeks or so after I became deputy CIO, I had the honor of virtually flipping the switch to move NOAA to the cloud for mail and collaboration and calendaring. And since then, we've extended our presence in the cloud to numerous instances of infrastructure as a service, software as a service for many things from collaboration to managing mobile computing, some of our security capabilities or software as a service. 
again, residing in a highly secure cloud, of course. And now we're making a move. We already have one cloud contract that's usable nowhere. We're about to move to another one where cloud will be a utility service. Irrespective of what cloud provider, people will, across NOAA will have a common experience if they're going to the cloud, a common way of securing their connections and their presence in the cloud, a common way of authenticating, and a common way of telecommunicating to the cloud through a common network. So that, that's immediately on the horizon. And one of the more exciting things we're doing is we're also experimenting with high-performance computing in the cloud, which we're discovering works very well if it's a private cloud, because you don't really want to have to own compute. It's much better to have somebody else be responsible for the upgrades and so on. And that's so important in high-performance computing. But also for certain kinds of workloads that are spiky and or novel architectures could be very useful. So, so that's one big area. Another uh, big change has been high-performance computing. In July of 2017, we awarded a uh, half a billion dollar services contract, a nine-year contract with a one-year transition. We've increased our computing by, we've doubled it since 2015. And the volume of data that we move around has grown to the point where now we're transferring about 80 terabytes a day across the networks that connect our high-performance computers, generating about seven terabytes per hour at some of our largest compute sites. And there's a piece of our high-performance computing program, which is an incubator program. And we get proposals from all across NOAA, and we seed novel ideas. Our, the network that I just described that moves all that data around started as an incubator program. It's now called N-Wave. Most recently, this past year, we've awarded several, well, at least two, incubators to do artificial intelligence and machine learning, which NOAA actually has a fairly long record of, but not necessarily doing it in an R&D mode. Something else, the big data program has matured. We've created a whole new market for NOAA data. I'm not sure how much you know about that, but it's, it's this novel idea where we put data in the cloud, cloud providers add value, they make money on our information, and in the process of growing the American economy by leveraging our data, we also take a bunch of the workload growth that the economy would pose on our infrastructure and put it on cloud providers who are making money on selling services. So it's a major cost avoidance for us, as well as something good for the American economy. So the cooperative research and development agreements for those are about to end, and we have requests for proposals. Our hope is that, well, not our hope, we're transitioning to operations. Hmm. There's elements of the economy which have actually become dependent upon using our data. Wow. Well, of course, the whole weather industry has always been. Right. AccuWeather doesn't have a satellite, and the Weather Channel doesn't have radars. But that's all NOAA data. So the big data program would say, well, look, if we can do that with folks just getting data from the dissemination mechanisms we've always had, what happens if we stick it in the cloud and put it on steroids? And, and that's what the big data program has been about. The Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act has, was passed. In fact, I, I was one of the earlier CIOs to get the, at the bureau level, to get the title CIO through the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act, FTARA. Because if, if you look at the act, it specifies cabinet-level agencies will have CIOs. But it says that if you're going to be lower than the cabinet level, if you're at bureau level, for example, then you, to be a CIO, you have to have the permission of the cabinet-level CIO. And so I became CIO at NOAA in the Department of Commerce shortly after that law was signed by the president. And so my title was actually per that law, per the CIO at Commerce, saying, yep, it's okay to have a NOAA CIO. Wow, 
I actually didn't know the background on that title. So that's interesting. Yeah. During the debate on the law, there was a consideration of just saying the only CIOs will be at the cabinet level. But the Congress decided, no, there may be times when it's important. I think it's important to NOAA to have that because the heterogeneity of IT and the, the large amount of money spent outside of the CIO's office means that NOAA is very similar to a department in terms of the governance challenges that we face. FATAR opened up a whole new world of engagement with the acquisition process, and it shed a bright light on shadow IT. We're getting there. I mentioned N-Wave, the network. We've been rolling out across NOAA. It's now a high-impact system, if that means anything to you. Low, moderate, high, high. High systems are those systems where the loss of confidentiality, integrity, or availability might cause catastrophic harm, death to people, major impacts on the American economy. Yeah. But anyway, so we have secured that network to that level because we have a lot of, a high number of high-impact systems at NOAA. There's something called a TICAP, a Trusted Internet Connection Access Point. It's a perimeter defense thing. We've rolled out five of them across the country to protect NOAA's perimeter and does it in a manner that you can buy the same protection with a telecommunications circuit for a higher price and it gives you no visibility over your actual security posture. These things called TICAPs, Trusted Internet Connection Access Points, provide same protection for much lower price with complete visibility over your security posture. So it's a pretty cool thing. We've, we've rolled those out. And the last thing I'll mention is our Security Operations Center. In 2012, our Security Operations Center went live for 24-7 operations. It's improved its capabilities over the years. This past year, uh, I mean, we are now preventing over 30,000 IT security incidents a year because we see the attacks and block them. Here's a cool stat. We have reduced the mean time from an actual cyber attack to beginning the response, which is part of the biggest problem the world has. You've been attacked, you've been compromised, you don't know it. We've reduced it by 88% over the past five years by having both perimeter defense and being able to look laterally at what's going on, seeing who's moving around our networks. Can you talk about the NOAA Enterprise and Mission Information Technology Services contract projected to be awarded in fiscal 2020 and how that would affect NOAA and its initiatives, probably having to do with anything that you just mentioned? Yeah, I, I can talk about it a bit. We love acronyms. And so yep. <laughs> this, one, this one, unfortunately, is pronounceable, but it sounds like, it sounds like an aircraft carrier or a famous Nimitz. admiral. Nimitz, yeah. So the NOAA Mission IT Services contract, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it builds on the NOAA-Link program. So we've had for about 10 years now a NOAA-Link program, which started as a NOAA-Link contract. And then when we realized that there were a lot of things that weren't in scope of the NOAA-Link contract that we still wanted to do on an enterprise basis, we drew a distinction between the contract and the program. Now we're totally separating them in terms of name anyway, but Nimitz will still be part of the NOLink program to support enterprise solutions. What it does is it, it expands, it expands the, the scope so that it's explicitly more mission systems as well as general purpose systems. NOLink was used for mission systems, but it wasn't understood necessarily that at the outset. Nimitz is, is clearly that. It provides support for NOAA at any of our locations, including on ships and airplanes. It actually is a continuation of our ability to support any IT need in NOAA and do it either 
on a mission-unique basis for one office, or when the economics and security are right, do it on an enterprise-wide basis for NOAA large. It's going to be a blanket purchase agreement under GSA Schedule 70. It is a total small business set-aside. doesn't necessarily mean that all NOAA IT requirements will be met that way. Before we do not do a set-aside, if that's going to be the case, we would do an analysis that demonstrates that perhaps this requirement cannot be performed by the vendors that we've selected, and we would do that for any opportunity. So under the NOLink program, we might very well have a couple, based totally on the circumstances, a non-small business. But we're confident that small businesses, based on our market research, can perform the vast majority of the IT requirements we have. So it is a total small business set-aside. We expect contractor teaming agreements, and we intend to award about 40% of the BPAs, because it's going to be a multiple award contract, to uh, firms that have some socioeconomic characteristic, like uh, a woman-owned small business, small disadvantaged business, hub zone, et cetera. 8A won't be a part of this, however. So I want to jump back a little bit to when you were talking about the cloud yeah. efforts. You mentioned that it, it's going slow. Can you explain that? Can it be faster? Actually, it's, we're speeding it up. Slow is probably a, a poor choice of words. It's been a steady growth. And so I didn't notice how much it's grown because it was there when I started, right? And when, when we plunged into it, it was a brand new thing. But we've been doing so much of it, it was hard to think about it being a new thing. I actually think we're quite a bit on the cutting edge. And I don't know of anybody except for us who's even considering doing high-performance computing. I mean, you're talking about you know, massive compute capability. And just the idea that you'd experiment with doing it in a cloud is, is utterly cutting edge. So I think we are accelerating it, actually. And what we're doing is we've got this, uh, we've got an RFP coming, that's going to be coming down the pike in a, in a few months to uh, put in place cloud as utility service. We actually have a cloud contract we're, we're using now. Can it be accelerated? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it can. And, and actually it needs to because cloud is, is a really good answer for data center consolidation. We have a lot of data centers at NOAA. And some of them are absolutely essential because of architectures. By definition, a data center includes some of the IT that we use to process information from a radar or a satellite. And because of the criticality of, of our mission, having to get tornado warnings out minutes before the event, latency is a big deal in NOAA. And a lot of times, you've got to put that computer right next to the radar or right next to the satellite downlink or right at the weather forecast office because they've got to be able to generate lots of imagery to get those warnings out. But if you forget about that for a while, we still have a lot of data centers that if we could quickly move to the cloud, we could close or consolidate. So there's a lot of good reasons for doing it. And putting this vehicle in place will be important. The best way to accelerate it is the thing that I mentioned earlier, which is to create the NOAA enterprise services that will allow people to go to the cloud without having to do a whole bunch of things themselves. So right now, somebody wants a cloud application. They're looking at it. They have to look at what's the security posture of it, what's the documentation. I have to sign off on every move to the cloud because of security requirements. That isn't a very agile way of going to the cloud. If we can put in place the enterprise services for 
so that folks don't have to worry about the telecommunications connection. So folks don't have to worry about how they're going to authenticate or identify users or system administrators to their instance. Folks don't have to worry about the security. Then that will accelerate. So yeah, the answer is yes, there are things we can do to accelerate and we haven't planned. It's a good idea to accelerate. I think we have a need for it. The economics are there. When I said slow, I wasn't meaning that we were going slow. It was just sort of creeped up on me because we've been doing it for so long. Like one of the first. Right, right. And so you become, you think, well, cloud, yeah, yeah, we do that, right? But we don't do it as well as we could. And accelerating, speeding it up, to use your phrase, is exactly what we're doing. In the discussion on cloud, you mentioned Agile. How is your office implementing that? And how much of it do you see it being included in your efforts in the future? Well, we use Agile in a lot of different places. When you say my office, I can identify two projects where we're using it. In our grants online system, the changes are being made using Agile development process. As we implement SmartPay 3, and NOAA's role is changing as we implement SmartPay 3 within the Department of Commerce, we're more of a communications hub than an actual processing location. But even for that communications function, we're applying Agile techniques to develop it. Elsewhere in NOAA, which is where 90% of the IT is done, it's done in our line offices on, you know, for our specific missions. Probably the two hotspots for Agile are the Weather Service and our Fisheries Service. Weather Service is using it in a portion of the program known as AWIPS, the Advanced Weather Information Processing System, but it's NAWIPS, which is actually a subset of the system. I won't go into the details of it, <laughs> but being used there. Agile techniques are being used in applications on weather.gov and other places in Weather Service, and, and also National Marine Fisheries Service is also another place, a hotspot for it. There are other parts of NOAA as well that use Agile, but what you can detect from the way I'm answering this is that it's not as coordinated an approach as one would like to make sure that we're seizing the opportunities wherever we can or wherever we ought to. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. So to that end, we've got plans to uh, build community of practice for software developers, which we haven't done yet, but it's self-organizing and I want to stimulate it a little bit. A lot of the work that we do where it's agile is in, at least where I'm aware of it, is where we have contractors and federal employees working in integrated teams. It would be good also to have standard contract language so that when we have an entire effort being done by a contractor, they're using those approaches as well. And likewise, when if we do that, that means we need more training on our contracting officer representatives and other people who manage contracts so they know when Agile is working, when it's not, when it's appropriate, when it's not. So from a training perspective, I think we have a ways to go. I think we have ways to go in terms of just building that community of practice. And I think we have ways to go in terms of, and I've got to be careful how I say this, because I never want to dampen. That's why I talk about self-organizing communities. The last thing I want to do is Agile, by its definition, doesn't have a lot of bureaucracy associated with it. But yet, if we could have a more common approach, as I didn't say standard approach, more common approach to how we do software development, then I'd have more confidence that we're taking advantage of Agile wherever it makes sense. So I think we have a ways to go, but there's a lot of activity in it. It's just not as organized as I would like to do it. And the challenge is how do you organize it without stopping it? Is there anything inherent in NOAA based on its efforts to when security comes into play or 
the pressing nature of some of the information you have to put out as far as tornado watches. Is there anything inherent in those processes that maybe would hinder agile implementation? We have some very large multi-million line of code systems. And you can't automatically switch something that's that large to an agile development. So yeah, there are. And it's because the systems are so complex. The examples I was giving you, a website, a mobile application, a subset of a very big system, are the places where you have those opportunities. But you're right, there's a, a large body of code that unless you actually modernize it, which is a whole other challenge in itself, and takes a lot of money, especially if, if you have millions of lines of code, and in our models, that they're in Fortran. And people don't normally associate Fortran, which I was learning 40 years ago, <laughs> more than 40 years ago. Nobody associate that with agile techniques. So the variety of code bases that we have across NOAA, the larger ones, are harder to, to migrate to Agile. There's nothing from a security perspective that prevents it, but it does mean that just like you have to have security built into software development traditionally, you can't avoid it just because it's Agile. In your title, you are CIO, but you're also Director of High Performance Computing and Communications. Can you discuss a little bit the difference on those two things and why your role is basically twofold? Yeah. So HPC is one of the most significant IT capabilities that NOAA has. It's one of the few places in the world where you can draw a direct connection between getting IT right and improving the chances of, of saving somebody's life. The forecast that you get, the watch, the warning. We have amazing meteorologists in NOAA. They have great skill. Their skill is put on top of the skill that comes out of the high-performance computer. So how do we do this? How does HPC do that? We do it by taking some of the best science in the world, which is captured in our research and development high-performance computers, and then we move it to the operational side, which is where you get your, your daily numerical forecast that then leads to the actual forecast that the, the folks build upon. So why do I say that when in response to your question? Because being the director of HPC is actually just being a program manager which is a subset of things that CIOs do. So it's, it's not actually something different. It's just being a CIO focused on making sure that this program not only has my attention, but has the leadership's attention. It makes me the advocate for investments in high-performance computing. It requires the leadership to take a, a hard look at where are we going. It's a strategic asset. It's not just a computer on a desktop that I might move to the cloud or I might. It's as strategic as, as satellites, as, as our observing platforms, which include ships and planes, and high-performance computing. So it's, it takes all of the things that a CIO worries about, strategic planning, getting leadership engaged, keeping the program itself on track as a project, and, and getting the whole enterprise using it. It's an enterprise solution. We've worked very hard to make high-performance computing something we do know-wide so that it's not just saving lives through better forecasts. It's managing fish stocks better through genomics in supercomputing. It's, it's AI applied to quality control on satellite 
ingest into, well, that's still a weather forecast, but it's the full breadth of NOAA's missions. So in one way, it's nothing different from being a CIO, making sure leadership's engaged, strategic assets, treating data as an asset, treating the compute as a strategic asset. But because it's so important to everything we do, that every dollar we invest in high-performance computing, every dollar the taxpayers invest in our supercomputing capability be leveraged to the greatest extent possible for every no emission, starting first with getting the best science the world has to offer and putting it to bear on saving American lives. How do I follow up that statement? <laughs> that was great. What advice do you have for other IT stakeholders looking to modernize and improve their processes and offerings through technology? Okay, this is from me, right? That's obviously because self-evident, but I've got a bias toward CIO stuff. So I would say that specific to modernizing and improving, work with your CIO. <laughs> One of the most vexing challenges we have in trying to modernize and improve uh, IT is finding the funding and the needed resources. Your CIO can help you. We can help stakeholders look across organizations and outward to find more cost-effective solutions than an individual stakeholder would be able to identify themselves. That's the first thing. On a more personal level, I've been truly fortunate to be the NOAA CIO. I think it's one of the best CIO jobs in government because of the life-saving and stewardship missions. And NOAA is among the most information technology-dependent ones in government. And NOAA leaders get that. So with that as a preface, no one predefined my role at NOAA. So what I would offer is uh, don't try to predefine the role of your CIO. The reason why I mentioned I've got this great job is because I get to do all these cool things associated with the mission. Your CIO might be just like that. So no one constrain me. Don't constrain them. There's things they can do that you may not think about. Don't put them off to the sidelines. You know, just, well, you're the desktop person. You're the email person. The real important IT, no, I've got to be responsible for that. Some people may think, I do not deal with that at NOAA. But I know colleagues who have. Don't constrain them. See what they can do. Give them a chance to deal with the most important IT you have, as mission-dependent as it may be. And it's about information management. If it's a data issue, if it's, it's a cliche, but it's true that there's no T for technology, in CIO. So don't, don't try to box your CIO in. They can help you in lots of ways. And the last thing I wanted to mention on the advice to folks who are looking to modernize, and again, it's, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the CIO, <laughs> Every day I endeavor to maintain the trust of our IT stakeholders. Trust is earned and maintained by transparency and performance. So give your CIO the chance to earn your trust. Although cybersecurity may be job one because of the mission impacts of a breach, your CIO's job is to securely advance the mission, not impede it. Personally, I strive to be viewed as a player on a winning team. And I've resolved myself never to be the no in Noah. Give your CIOs a chance to say yes. All right. Well, then what's next for you? You've been at Noah since 2005. Is that right? Yeah. What is next? You know, I hate to not sound ambitious, but next for me is next for me at Noah because I don't really want to go anyplace else. I, I, I know there's lots of people who say, well, you know, this is it's a stepping stone, a bigger agency. A bigger. There are so many challenges in NOAA. What's next for me is what I believe is next for NOAA IT. I want to see it through. 
I want to see us minimize our data center footprint. I want us, our IT cadre to be brokers of IT services and not be touching boxes. I want to see the no IT workforce evolve. And I want to see it through. So I think in the future, the no IT people will be of two types. They'll either be brokering uh, services at some aggregated level, either across the line office, across NOAA, across commerce, across the government, whatever level of aggregation makes sense from a security and efficiency perspective. Or they'll be that person who is helping to write code or maybe even writing code, but they're right up next to that mission owner and they're translating as best as is humanly and with artificial intelligence possible, great ideas into life-saving and planet-saving applications. I think one of the best measures of success is how quickly can we do that? And I would love to see us, A, be able to accurately measure how long it takes a good idea to become realized and then see it go down because people are doing what they can do best and not, as federal employees, and not trying to, and not caring where the box is because the computer doesn't care where you are. So that's one thing. Maybe that is the vision, that I see us continuing a lot of the things that we're doing now, and I, I want to see it through. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. That was very insightful, and I look forward to seeing NOAA's implementation of its IT modernization and maybe touch back with you in the next year to see how things have changed since then, especially with the cloud. That's not moving slow at all. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity. I look forward to uh, looking back a year from now, too. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. GovCast is produced and hosted by Amy Kluber. It is edited by Resonate Recordings. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact Joe O'Neill at j-o-n-e-i-l-l at governmentcio.com. <laughs>